Good morning, church. Uh, the sound guys were making fun of my greeting to you every Sunday morning. Good morning, church. And uh, using that as their test for, of the microphone, but it is. It's a good morning. It's a good time to be with the church. And I do love you, and I'm glad to be here, Matt. Um, have you uh, ever been, you're probably at home by this point, but you've uh, been to the grocery store, you've got all your groceries, and then you get home and you grab that bag of grapes and you've washed it off in the colander and you've shaken it off and you, you know, you didn't wait for lunch or whatever it was or you didn't, you just were like, I'm just going to grab one. And you grabbed one and you bit into it and all of a sudden you realized there were seeds in it. And you grabbed the wrong bag and you thought to yourself in that moment, why would they even make sell grapes with seeds anymore? I mean, we have this amazing reality that there are seedless grapes now. Why would we ever buy, does anybody, I mean, I don't, I don't know why. Why would you buy grapes with seeds in it at this point? Or uh, oranges, this happened, you get a whole bag of oranges and then you get home, you cut into one, you realize... Their seeds in it. The worst of all, you know what the worst, worst ever of this happening? Watermelon. Watermelon. I mean, wasn't one of the greatest things to ever happen in our time uh, of life that we could have seedless watermelon? Now, it is still, I still want to encourage you parents that have kids uh, to give them the opportunity to be able to know what it was like back in our day to, to eat a watermelon with seeds. Take them outside first and start giving them, you know, triangles of watermelon and just let them eat and spit till they get sick of it. Uh, but, but what a blessing. I mean, seedless fruit. And the question, the deep, really theological question that my kids asked me in regards to this was, well, is it technically a fruit if it doesn't have seeds? Because that's what makes a fruit, is something that has seeds. And so they took that to the point to think, so if I'm eating seedless fruit, I'm essentially eating vegetables. And they were really happy about this reality, theological reality that they came to, that eating seedless watermelon and grapes were, because without seeds, they're essentially vegetables. Now, there really is a, a better point in me bringing this up than just simply um, reminding you of what has happened at different times in our lives, and that is that this passage, in talking about Jesus being the vine, we are his branches, that we are to abide in him so that we would be fruitful. We are not to be seedless grapes. We are to be grapes with seeds that can then go forth and bear, bear fruit that abides as well, on and on and on. In fact, this is the, the picture and the reality that God gave all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. Go, maybe you have, because of a, a new Bible reading plan this week, you've, maybe you've read Genesis 1 if you, uh, this week. If you haven't, go back and read it and read that in creation, it, it was God who... Um, made the, the plants and the trees to bear forth fruit that has seeds in it, that it might bear uh, more fruit and uh, more fruit and on and on and on. And he uses that in creation to then say to the pinnacle and the height of his creation, humanity, man and woman, to likewise to go and to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so it's, it's that picture that is carried on throughout the book of Genesis and carried on throughout the uh, Old Testament that, that His people were to be fruitful and multiply in their love for God, their love for one another, and sharing that and displaying that to the world around them. It's that, that idea that is carried on into the New Testament with that same language of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth. And, and we see that in this passage of John 15, that we are to abide in Him. And we saw that illustration, that, that metaphor, last week in 15, 1 through 8. But this week, I want to then go and look at the application of that illustration 
in, in verses 8 and following to verse 17. And if last week was the metaphor and the picture um, and, and the charge to abide in Him, that we might be fruitful, then this week what we're really looking at is, is the how and the why. And what does fruit look like that abides? Um, Jesus is going to flesh this out for His disciples uh, this evening before He is uh, crucified. Jesus is going to flesh out what it means that they be fruitful and that their fruit would then abide as well so that that fruit would be fruitful and on and on. This is important because Jesus being crucified the next day, buried in the tomb, resurrected uh, three days later, uh, then walking on the earth for some 40 days, and then ascending into heaven, Jesus was leaving. And it was going to be these disciples who would become the apostles of the early church who would be responsible for abiding in Him and that their abiding would lead to fruitfulness. Fruitfulness with seeds to be planted and sown in fertile soil that would um, sprout and rise up and bear more fruit that would produce seeds that would be planted in fertile soil and on and on and on. It was these disciples that were going to carry it out. And so they knew that they were to be fruitful or to abide so that they could be fruitful. But what did that look like? And why were they to do that? And it's really that question of why that I'm, I'm categorizing and, and organizing this message in. And, and, and you'll see it really in, in three ways. Why they are to, to abide. They're to abide for the Father's glory. They're to abide for their own joy. And they're to abide for others' salvation. For God's glory, uh, our joy and others' salvation. A phrase that's not uncommon around the Fields Church. Um, but one that is clearly seen in, in these verses uh, before us. So look at verse 8. And, and just as a, a transition verse into this new section, what we closed with after Jesus gave that metaphor of Him being the vine, we being the branches, that we need to abide in Him, um, that He might prune us so that we could bear even more fruit. There was also that warning that if we don't abide in Him, we're not going to bear much fruit that, that will be then cut off. In the end, gathered together to be burned. A warning, a challenge to those who have not repented of their sins, trusted Christ as their Savior, to, to this morning repent, to believe, to begin abiding in Christ. And in verse 8, Jesus says, by this, by verses 1 through 7, by you abiding, by you being pruned to bear more fruit, by you asking me whatever you wish that would help you to abide, and it will be done for you. By all of these things, Jesus says, my Father is glorified but that you bear much fruit and so prove to be His disciples. Why would you spend your life abiding in Christ? Or as we'll see in, in this morning's passage, um, communicated another way, abiding in His Word. Why would you spend your life doing that? Because it glorifies God. It glorifies God. It honors Him who is the maker and sustainer of everyone and of everything. Um, yeah, you could give your life to a host of different things, but when you stand before God on the day of your death or that final day when He returns, when you stand before God, are you going to put before Him all the things that you've done here on this earth that you've given your life to, or are you going to put before Him those things that have honored and glorified Him? Now, I hope that we spend our lives storing up a, a, a treasure not only of, of Christ, enjoying Christ as we sung earlier, but storing up a, a treasure house of deeds that have honored and glorified the Lord that we would be proud to stand before Him. That, 
even being able to stand before him, we would say, you know, it's not for, but for Christ that we're able to stand before you. But knowing Christ, I have then spent my life in such a way that honors and glorifies you by abiding in your son, by abiding in his word, by attempting as best as I can in reliance upon the Holy Spirit to bear much fruit. And by this, God, I hope that you are honored and glorified. That's, that ought to be the hope and goal of all of us who call ourselves Christians. All of us, especially as members of the Fields Church, we ought to desire to live every bit of our lives, not for our own honor, for our own glory, not for our business or our business's glory, not so that someone else would think we're glorious or anything like that, but for His honor and for His glory. And Jesus made it just so clear why we're to abide for His Father's glory, that we would bear much fruit and in so doing prove to be His disciples. Not only do we prove that uh, and does God see that fruit uh, and, and we've proven in one sense to Him, but of course He, he knows. But in another sense, we've proven to the world around us that something has drastically changed in us. When, when we've repented of our sins, trusted Christ, and are bearing more fruit in our life than we were in the past, we're proving to the world that something's different. We are proving to be His disciples, not living for the glory of the world, not living for the fruit of the world. We're living for God, for His honor, for His glory, and for His fruit. And so first and foremost, why? Why would you spend your life abiding in Christ? If fear of being cut off, separated, and in the end burned wasn't encouragement enough to consider repenting and believing, um, Jesus says, abide for the Father's glory. Not only that you wouldn't be cut off, but when you stand before Him, you would have a life dedicated and devoted to lifting high the Father and Him and His own glory. But Jesus doesn't stop there. And really, um, the, the, the rest of our text this morning lays out a couple other reasons why we ought to abide in Him, in and specifically why we ought to abide in His Word. And so look at verse 9 then and following. And here we'll note the second reason for abiding in this passage is that, uh, that we ought to abide for your own joy. Or for us collectively as a church. Church, we ought to abide for our corporate collective joy in the Lord. Look in verse 9. The Father has loved me so I have loved you. Abide in my love, Jesus says. Having said, abide in me. Having said, abide in my word. Now he says, abide in my love. All describing different facets of what it means to abide and remain. Abide in my love. How are we to do that? Well, if you keep my commandments, Jesus said, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you. That, there's that reason why. That, that word that, when you see that, it could have even said so that. When you see that, you know that that's a reason why. It's an explanation of uh, why these things ought to be done. In the end of verse 11, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Why would you spend your life abiding in Christ and abiding in His Word, not only is it going to honor and glorify the one you will stand before one day, it will be for your own joy. And Jesus, in, in this section of this passage, he, he says, He commands, abide in My love. And He explains that, saying, as the Father has loved Me, so I have loved you. And we just got finished singing such a wonderful song about the Lord's love being strong for us. And it would be 
uh, wrong of me to just skip over the fact that if it were up to us loving God and that being the, uh, what we depended on, being able to stand before God um, justly and righteously and forever, we would all fail. Our love for the Lord is fickle and fails often. But it is His love for us that is steadfast. His love for us never fails. And so the command here is for us to simply abide in His love. And this is why certain passages like Romans 8 that talk about us never being able to be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord are so key. And so our command in this passage, Jesus is is urging us to simply abide in that constant, steadfast, powerful, um, immovable love that He has for us, that He's proven to us in Christ. And the Father has shown that love to His one and only Son in Jesus. Jesus then has mediated the Father's love to us by leaving heaven and coming to us. He's shown His love for us by obeying perfectly when all of humanity failed at it. He's shown His love to us by willingly giving up His life to go to the cross for us. He's shown His love to us by overcoming sin and death in the resurrection. He's shown His love to us by ascending back to the right hand of the Father, having honored and glorified Him perfectly while on this earth and is now interceding on our behalf. Jesus is mediating the Father's love to us and showing us that in His life and His death and his, in His resurrection. And Jesus just says, abide in that. Sit in that for a lifetime and see if you can plunge the depths of the Father's love for you. Spend your life dwelling on, thinking on the love of Christ for selfish sinners and see if you could ever consider um, uh, how deep his, his love for you is. Jesus commands them then to abide in His love. And so, you know, they likely wondered, well, what does that look like? And so Jesus tells them in verse 10, He tells, John records it for His readers in the first century were benefited by that 2,000 years later when Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And he gives as an example his own life. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Listen, Jesus is not asking us to do anything that he himself didn't already do. Jesus came as the new and better Adam. Adam had already failed at this, and so Jesus came to perfectly do what Adam was created to do but failed. Jesus perfectly obeyed all of the Father's commandments. And in doing so, He was abiding in God's love. And so, with a command from Christ Himself to abide in that love by obeying His commands, and with an example of Christ in His own life that we read about in the Gospels, we're urged to then do the very same thing, to abide in His love by obeying His commands. And what a great time of the year to consider that type of charge. As many of us are um, picking up or recommitting ourselves to read God's Word this year. Some of us attempting to read the entire Bible in a year, maybe to read the New Testament this year. Spend 20, what year is it? 2024? <laughs> is it tw I haven't written the date. 2024 yet. Spend the year writing down somewhere in the back of your Bible the commands that, that were given in the, the New Testament. When, you're, when you wonder, what does it look like for me to abide in Christ, to abide in His Word, to abide in His love, what does that look like? It looks like obeying the things that He's clearly told us 
to obey. We don't have to wonder about what that looks like. There, is, there are plenty of clear directions for us and what it looks like to do that. We just have to be willing to give up the world's desires, the world's commands, um, the things that we spend most of our time doing to actually spend time abiding. And remember what I said last week, what that word abide really means is to remain in, to remain in Christ who is already remaining in us, to remain in His Word consistently, uh, reading God's Word in the mornings, throughout the day, before you go to bed, um, spending time memorizing God's Word that you might hide it in your heart, that you might not sin against God later on, singing God's Word, um, you know, not the, not, not the songs that most of us grew up and going. We watched a movie this week, and I was reminded of, uh, you know, how uh, not great music I listened to because all of a sudden I remembered all of these songs um, and the lyrics to all of these songs. And I'm so thankful for the challenge and the charge over the years to listen pour into my ears and my mind and my heart lyrics of truth and I'm so thankful for artists that that give us those kinds of things abide in Christ abide in his word uh, abide in his love by doing those things we've got a class going talking about spiritual disciplines right now if you haven't been coming to a field training class um, commit yourself over the next I think seven weeks uh, come at at 8.45, come and join Graham in that class talking about spiritual disciplines. Come and, and consider what it would look like for you to be more disciplined in the clear commandments of Scripture on how we are to abide in Him. What a, what a privilege to train you and equip you to do the work of the ministry as the saints uh, of God. Um, Find ways to be accountable to, to one another, to help you abide. Text one another Scripture that you read that morning and say, hey, I'm, I'm attempting to live this out. If you don't see this being lived out in my life, help me. Or, hey, I'm praying this Scripture for you today. Uh, I hope it encourages and challenges you. There are, there are constant ways that we can abide. Gathering here every Sunday morning, we're commanded to do in the book of Hebrews, to not neglect the meeting of uh, together that are some are in the habit of doing. Gathering on Sunday mornings is a way that you would better abide in Christ and abide in His love and eventually love one another. Uh, this, this book is full of ways that you can spend your life abiding in Him. But, but remember this, that, you know, we often think that, that commandments are burdensome for us and it's just a big to-do list and uh, we think it's heavy and that kind of thing. But notice why uh, we are to do these things. Notice why we're to abide. Notice why we're to obey His, his commands. In verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus has not only shown us the love of the Father and has not only told us how to abide in His love by obeying His commands, but He said that these, uh, these commands are not burdensome. They're actually to fill you with joy. And we can think about this as, as parents. We can think about this as, as parents when we have certain rules for our house, when we have certain family ways, as we call them in our house. And there are 24 of them posted up right above the kitchen table for our kids to look over and, and read at all times. Not just 10 commandments. We, we trumped that. We need 24. 24 commandments. But I can point to every single one those, those family ways, none of those ways are simply for me to burden my kids and for me to put a weight on them that would make them hate life and, and prove 
I'm in charge and you're my slave and servant in that time. The, every single one of those rules are for their joy. They are for um, blessing. They are for freedom. They are for privilege. They are for stewardship. They are for kindness. They are for all of those kinds of things. And so long as we as a family, myself included, have to follow the ways. But when we are doing that, there is great joy. But when one of us, myself included, goes against one of those family ways, all of a sudden that joy is disrupted. I've hurt one of them with my harsh words. I, you know, have done one thing or another, and it's disrupted that joy. And the same for them to us. And Jesus is saying the same thing. And it's no different from what God the Father said to Adam in the very beginning. When God gave Adam that one rule, not 24, not 10, one, one in the garden, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you think God was there in heaven making that one rule saying, let's see how well he can carry this burden of one rule uh, at that moment? No, he was giving him that to, to be full of joy, to be able to enjoy God's presence, his abiding presence with him in the garden forever. And if he would have obeyed that one rule, he would have enjoyed that forever. But he failed, thinking that God was being rude, thinking God that was keeping something from him, thinking that if he ate of that, he would be like God, when he was already more like God than he would have ever been at that point. And so he ate. And when he ate, he realized that had he abided, had he kept God's word, he would have enjoyed God forever. And in that moment, his joy was disrupted. And that's been the case on and on and on from generation to generation, which is why Jesus is urging us in one sense to abide in him, abide in his word, abide in his love, trust him, trust his word. Obey His Word that we might be full of joy, uh, that, that we might have His joy in us and that our joy may be full. And we have to consider at the same time that if Jesus is offering us His joy, there is no way that His joy is able to be compared to any kind of joy that this world has to offer to us. He's saying, obey my commandments so that you can have my joy. In contrast to obeying the world's commandments and you having the world's joy. That you may have for a short time and it may be enjoyable for a moment or for a season, but it's like a mist. Uh, and it goes away very quickly. But Jesus' joy is eternal. It lasts. It endures it perseveres through good times and through bad times. And he doesn't just want you to have a, a little bit of it. He wants you to be full of it. That you could be full of that joy. And so consider then what Paul says in Galatians is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This, this joy that Jesus offers us is the fruit uh, of abiding in Him. It's one of the reasons why Jesus gives us that we should spend our lives abiding in Him. But I know that, that some of you may be in the midst of, and we've all been there at different times, when we feel like our joy is just gone. And we're like David in Psalm 51 where he prays, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And I want to encourage you that, that if you don't abide in Christ and in His Word and in His love, and if you don't um, abide by obeying His commandments, you can rest assured that your joy will not be restored, at least in a... Uh, a God-given sense, at least in an eternal sense? I mean, if you spend the rest of this year continuing to go your own way, that joy will not be there. But according to God's Word, He says that if we abide in Him, abide in His Word, 
obey His commandments, that His joy will be ours. And that joy will be full. And it may not come, you may not feel it tomorrow. And you may not even feel it later on this week. It may not even come till the end of this month. It may, may take a year. I, I don't know when the feeling of that joy may be there. But I can promise you it won't be there if you don't go this direction. That narrow, through that narrow gate, that straight path is the way to abide with Christ. That we have to stick with Him, knowing that He's sticking with us. And so I want to encourage you to press on in, in, in these commandments, which might be called in other places just these ordinary means of grace. God has clearly given us these commandments, these words, these ways to abide in Him. And that joy will not be there if we don't. Um, but we can trust that on, uh, in accord with His Word, it will come. It may take time for us to feel it, experience, see the fruit of it. Some of us, having gone through some of those hard seasons where we didn't feel it and yet persevered in those ordinary means of grace, in those spiritual disciplines, in following the Lord as best as we knew how in those times, can look back at that year and say, I wonder, wonder how much worse it would have been had I not been daily dependent on the Lord. I mean, what would I, what would I have looked like at this point had I spent that year going my own way, going the world's way? And so spend your lives, spend this year, why? Uh, or spend your lives abiding in Christ, why? Well, for, for the Father's honor and glory, but spend it knowing that when you honor and glorify the Lord in that way, abiding in Him, you too will be full of joy. Our church will be full of joy. The world will look at the joy that we have in the midst of hard circumstances and want that. Question where we got that. And we'll have the opportunity to be able to speak it to them. Which is where the, the rest of this passage goes then. So then looking at the rest of the passage, verses 12-17, through 17, having noted already that we're to abide for the Father's glory and for our own joy, lastly and, and thirdly note this, abide for others' salvation. Abide for others' salvation. Verse 12, like the, um, like the, the, the story in the Gospels, uh, when some of the Pharisees came around Jesus and said, you know, what's the most important commandment? What, what, I mean, I know, there's a lot of them. I know, God, there, there's plenty of commands, but what's the important? If you're going to sum it up, what would it be? Well, Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, Jesus is going to be talking about the second but the first one is implied in the abiding in Christ, abiding in His love, loving Him in return. And so don't think that the, if the first isn't mentioned that it's, it's not that important. It is. That's what the whole abiding is about. So having abided in His love and having loved God, He then says, this is my commandment then to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. So think about it. Your the love that you're to abide in is not to just stick with you as if you're a seedless grape or a seedless watermelon, to just be able to keep it to yourself. No, you're to be fruitful. You're to be uh, seed-bearing and to be able to share that with others. The love that you have been given by Christ, you're to then love one another. That's a command of Jesus um, to his disciples. And so there's obviously a, a clear uh, application of this that they're to be loving one another in the room, the other 11 disciples, that they're to be loving others who, who take upon themselves the name of Christ, other believers in Christ. And of course, other places, the command would even extend beyond that to 
love the world, to proclaim the gospel to them, to love even your enemies, which we'll need next week when we get to verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has already hated me. So there's other scriptures that are going to challenge us to love the world and to love our enemies. But this passage is talking about loving one another and that by loving one another, we will display to the world their need for Jesus as their vine, uh, for them to abide in Him as branches, that they too might be fruitful. And Jesus describes in verse 13 then what that kind of love looks like. And Jesus is about to show this physically with His very own life. But in verse 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And just imagine what's about to happen. Jesus has predicted that he would go to the cross and die several times, but several of those times they've said, No, you're not going to. No, surely not. You're not going to die. But in just a few hours, Jesus would allow himself to be arrested and would allow himself to be wrongly judged, would allow himself to suffer beatings and whippings, uh, a crown of thorns placed on his head. He would allow himself to be crucified. He would willingly, Jesus said, no one takes my life, but I offer it willingly. He would willingly give his life for his friends. And Jesus says that's the greatest act of love that one would be able to to do for your friends. And we have to consider the same. Are we willing to give our own lives? And it would be, you know, it's easy for us to think, you know, you know what, as husband, husbands out there, you say, you know what, if there were a situation for me to give my life for my wife, I would do it. I would jump in front of the car. I mean, if I could give my organ to be able to save her, I would do it. it I mean, if I, if there's any way I would, I would give my life for my friends. And that's easy to think about and it's, it's easier to say because in reality, there's probably not going to be a chance for that to happen. But husbands, would you be willing to serve your wives by giving up your own life in the way that you want to be served? Parents, would you be willing to serve your kids, um, raising them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Yeah, giving up your life, your show, your nap, your uh, freedom, your uh, weekend, your whatever it is, so that they could grow in godliness and the knowledge and instruction of the Lord. And we think about, yes, oh, I need to give my life for that. And that's true. But there are a host of, Uh, of other ways that we can give our life that if we're honest, we're really unwilling to do a lot of the time. Parents or children willing to obey your parents for this is right in the Lord. Yeah, I'm I'm sure some of you kids, some of you maybe would give your life for your parents if, if the opportunity arise, but would you be willing to simply do what Christ has told you to do, to obey? and to follow, and to trust uh, in this life until you're raised up to have your own kids, and on and on and on. Jesus models this so well for them, and he introduced this idea, having moved away from the vine and branch language, and having moved through the father-son language, now he moves to this language of friendship. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus says to these 11, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So Jesus says they have then moved from being servants, which they still were in a sense, to being friends, 
simply because Jesus has told them all that the Father has given him. Information and revelation of who Jesus is and who God is has made them friends. And what a, what a truth for us to rest in. We've been given God, God's word. We've been given this truth about who Jesus is. And so, Christian, don't see yourself simply as a servant. See yourself as a friend. But don't forget that you're also a servant. Don't think that Jesus is just your homeboy. You know, we have to also remember that, that we are still servants of this king. There is a, uh, a new aspect to the relationship called friendship. But it was not because we were so good that, that we wanted to become friends with Jesus or that we were so good that Jesus even chose us. No, he chose us in the midst of our sin and made us new and then revealed more of himself to us. He reminds us of that in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you. Or the word might uh, be translated, I set you apart. Why did I choose you? Why did I set you apart that you should go and bear much fruit and that your fruit should abide? So Jesus here is introducing this, this uh, abiding in Him. That while we abide in Him and abide in His love by obeying His commandments, there will be f- joy and not just simple joy, but the fullness of joy in that. But as we go out, we're to love one another. And as we love one another, as we're going out in that way, there is a going sense. There is a uh, being set apart sense in this passage. And that when we go, when we're set apart as a church, when we're set apart as Christians, when we're loving one another a different, differently, there will be fruit that will come from that. There will be opportunities to proclaim the gospel of Jesus and encourage other people to abide, lest they too be cut off, gathered together to be burned in the end. There will be opportunities to love one another in the church, to display to the rest of the world that Christ has loved us and that we're loving one another differently. And the hope there is that as we go, that we would bear fruit and that fruit would abide itself. So see the, see the fruitfulness happening here. These who are abiding in Christ are bearing fruit. And as they go out and sow that seed, if you will, it's being planted in fertile soil and it's growing up and it's bearing fruit because it's abiding in Christ. And they're learning to abide in Christ more that they too might take those seeds and sow them as they go. Our salvation was never meant simply for the Father's glory. That's primary, but it also, at the same time, fills us with joy. But it doesn't even stop there. It's to be used for others' salvation. And so if you're here this morning and you you have repented of your sins and trusted Christ, consider how those who have gone before you have abided in Christ. And imagine if they had not been abiding in Christ We're not proclaiming the gospel. We're not living a life that was honoring to the Lord and worthy of imitating. Imagine if that mother or father didn't abide in Christ. Imagine if that Sunday school teacher didn't abide in Christ. Imagine if that pastor or youth pastor didn't abide in Christ. Sure, maybe there would have been someone else that would have proclaimed the gospel to you, but do you see that your salvation um, is on the, uh, the bedrock of Christ and on the stones that are built up after that, the, the, sea, the, the vine who is Christ, the branches that are bearing fruit, and the seeds that are sown after that. So too with you, Christian. So too with you, Fields Church. As we go out this week to be the church in the world, consider the, the fields that are out there. 
Consider the seed that we have been given. We are the good seed that is to be sown in the fields of the world. And if we'll go out abiding in Christ, obeying His Word, loving one another, we can entrust the fruit to God, but rest assured there will be fruit. Fruit um, in God's timing, in God's way, in God's place. We don't have to worry about that. We need to worry about the, the faithfulness aspect of abiding. Let us worry about abiding and following and obeying, and let's leave the fruitfulness to the Lord. And Jesus repeats what he had said earlier in verse 7, that in the context of abiding and in the context of being fruitful, Jesus says, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Christian, realize when you go out this week, whatever you need to abide in Him, to abide in His Word, whatever strength you need in the midst of the weakness of your own flesh and temptation, He will give you. Whatever boldness and courage you need to proclaim the gospel to that coworker or family member or friend, He'll give you. Whatever you wish, whatever you need to abide and to be fruitful, He'll give you. That's the context in which these two um, verses are given of asking whatever you wish. It's in the context of abiding and bearing fruit. Let's apply them in such way. These things Jesus says I command you so that you will love one another. And so Christian, we have these charges. And if you consider that silly illustration at the beginning of of seedless grapes and seedless oranges and seedless watermelon. There are days, there are weeks, there are years, there are times when myself and you, we tempted to just be seedless fruit and to enjoy um, that all to ourselves. Yes, honoring and glorifying the Lord. Yes, for our own joy. But it wasn't supposed to end there. It was... It was supposed to end on us producing seed that we could then be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so if there's ways that you have, you know, may, may have been selfish in keeping the gospel to yourself and not loving one another and not obeying His commands and, and enjoying the blessing of being a Christian in this community and really keeping it to yourself, not inviting others, not sharing the gospel with others. Let's let's repent this morning. Let's confess. Let's lay that before the Lord knowing He forgives. And let's go out with renewed passion and commitment devoting ourselves to abiding in Christ. Yes, for His glory. Yes, for our joy. But also for others' salvation. What would happen if we as Christians, we as the Fields Church, went out as the good seed sown into the field with that charge of abiding this year? More faithfully, more passionately, um, depending on John 14 truths of Uh, the triune God being with us, empowering us to do that, what would it look like if at the end of this year uh, we were more faithful to that benediction every single Sunday morning simply because we abided in Him, obeying His commands, loving one another, and going out into the world. If you're here this morning and that word abide just in Christ, just does not describe your life up to this point. And you fear, not, not because of my words or my preaching, but really because of the Word of God and the Spirit of God, you fear standing before God, having not repented of your sins and trusted Him. Let me urge you this morning to repent. You're abiding this morning would be to begin obeying His commands, His first commands, to repent and believe. Repent of your sin, 
trust Christ, and willingly give up the rest of your life to follow him, learning what it looks like to abide day in and day out. And so, church, let's consider what it would look like to be seed, uh, fruits with seed in it as we go out to be the church in the world. Let's pray. Father, would you help us? I, I don't want to be cut open one day when I stand before you and be full of works that do not glorify you. To be full of a life that is lacking joy. To be full um, or to be lacking seed that I should be having in my life. God, I don't want that. And I'm thankful for your word for us this morning that has shown us how we can um, do our part in preventing that. Trusting that you will no doubt do your part for your love is steadfast to us. So then, Lord, help us to abide. Help us to abide in you and in your word by obeying you and your word. First and foremost, by loving you and loving one another when we gather together as the church and when we go out into the world, knowing that in doing so, you will be honored, our joy will be full, and others, we trust and pray, might be saved. Help us, Lord. Do whatever it takes to draw our eyes and our attention to you day in and day out. Help us commit ourselves to regularly eating of your word that will nourish our souls day in and day out. Give us boldness and courage in the power of your Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel. Help us, Lord, when we find ourselves weak, tempted, Lord, to overcome that by obedience to you. God, help us to desire those things. And we know that that desire is given to us by you. So, Lord, would you give us that? Having seen a glimpse of it, having had a taste of uh, what fruitfulness looks like this morning, Lord, may we all individually and corporately as a church long for that in the end. Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name, as you've told us to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.